Many people struggle with praying. It's not uncommon. We spend our busy days caring for ourselves, our spouses, children, jobs, pets, homes, bills, errands, studies, and more. In fact, we're so busy that when we do get around to remembering to pray, we struggle to find the words. But prayer is vitally important. Not only do we pray to Jesus, but we pray with Jesus, with the gospel. Prayer isn't about approaching God with our own record of work. It's about approaching God through the finished work of Jesus, the gospel applied to prayer. Praying with Jesus means letting Jesus teach us how to pray. Good morning, everybody. Hey, my name's Steve. We haven't met. And we're continuing a series called Praying with Jesus. And we're spending three weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Before we dive into this, I just want to say, hey, how about that? Uh, Pete and Sarah Lyon, how fun is it to have them here? Super great to have them here. You know what? Yeah, let's thank them again. You know what we need to continue to pray? In that season of youth ministry, by God's grace, there is a number of people who are serving Jesus in trades, in business, and also a number of people went to ministry. Do we not need to pray that there would be more Pete and Sarah Marshalls in the world? People would like raise support and go start campus ministries, uh, be pastors, be various kinds of Christian workers. We had to pray that the Lord would raise up workers for the gospel harvest. Jesus actually tells us to pray to the Father that there would be the Lord of the harvest, that there'd be more workers raised up. And uh, God has done that. In that season of youth ministry, there was some really bad kids. That was the season of ministry where our church had to apologize to the convenience store across the street because the seventh graders stole from the convenience store in between services. It was just as a beautiful conversation to have as a youth pastor. And out of that, there's a number, uh, we're talking in that class, the work of God's grace, uh, a church planner, a few pastors, the guy who runs uh, CCEF, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, and all these different kinds of Christian workers. So it was great. And uh, Pete, thank you so much for your prayer for me. So three weeks in the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we looked at how Jesus calls us to be bold. This week, we're going to look at what it means that Jesus teaches us to say. Jesus literally says, when you pray, say, Father. It's the first word of the actual prayer. He's like, pray like this. Pray, Father. And it's going to bring up a lot of issues. There's the Father some of us are trying to be. There's the Father we had. Brings up that memory. The Father we didn't have. The Father that was absent or abandoned or abusive. There's, it brings up the issue we're going to see of the family of God that is the church of Jesus. Because some of that can only be healed by being in the kind of community that is actually a family. And we're refamilied. We're in a different kind of family. Jesus teaches us to call God Father. So let's jump into this. Turn to Luke 11 in a Bible. You can turn to page 869 in the Bibles that are underneath the chairs. And if you'd like to have a Bible, you're invited to just take one of those. Page 869, Luke 11. I'll also have it up on the screen so you can follow along. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, 
Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation. This is God's word. We're going to look at this passage in three parts, okay? The Father's freedom, the freedom to call God Father, the Father's family, and the Father's glory. The Father's freedom, the Father's family, the Father's glory. First, the Father's freedom. Where did Jesus get this? Where did he get this idea? Did Jesus alone make this up? Well, the idea of God as Father, it's there in the Bible. It's not super prominent in the Old Testament. And it's not, we don't see prayers to God as Father in the Old Testament. Yet, okay, there's this huge moment in the life of the people of God, the people of, the people of Israel, the salvation event in the Bible in the Old Testament is the Exodus. Think of this. Everyone's a slave. All God's people are slaves. They don't really have a close relationship with the living God, a worshiping relationship with the li living God. They've, been, uh, they've become like the people around them. They worship their idols and live their lifestyles. And uh, they're in bondage. They're not treated well. They're in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler, rules over them. God calls a failed leader. Moses was chosen by God, and he thought, he's like, wow, I thought I had this destiny to free God's people, to lead God's people. He sort of takes, you know, the whole situation to his own hands, murders an Egyptian, has to flee for his life, and lives as a failure in the desert. God shows up in the life of this failed leader who's been forgotten. It's decades in the desert. And appears to him, God says, this is who I am. This is my name. It's my name. And this is your mission. You're going to go to the most powerful ruler in the world. And Moses, you are going to say this. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve you. The living God says, my people, this nation, this is my son. Let my son go. So it's, it's freedom language. The first time we encounter the Lord's Prayer is in the context of the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And just as Moses received God's law on the mount, there's this different mountaintop experience of Jesus on a mount explaining the law of God and the way and the lifestyle of the people of God. And... It's as if Jesus is enacting a new exodus. It's as if God is doing this deeper freeing thing. Because see, the, the way that Jesus talks about it, it's as if he's doing a deeper, more freeing work, and we actually, to enter into the freedom of the Father and to know God as Father, we need the freeing work of Jesus. And let me just trace this for a second. In other Old Testament passages, God wanted a close relationship with his people. God wanted to bless his children. 
At one point in Jeremiah 3, I was like, man, uh, this is what I was going to give you. This is how I was going to bless you, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of nations. And I thought you would call me my father. It would not turn from following me. It's the broken heart of God. I thought you would call me father. But surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, O house of Israel. God says to his people, you've broken my heart. I thought you were going to call me my father, but you don't. Uh, this is an, let's just stop here for a second. This is an important thing for modern people to think about. We think in terms of sin as the law of God, which is biblical. It's important. We break God's rules and laws. But we tend to think that's all that it is. It's like sin, okay, the speed limit's 35, and I went 39. We think of it as breaking the rules. We don't think of sin as forsaking the Father. We don't think of the relational aspect of sin. Um, A father, it was actually from a pastor from another church, called me Monday and said, hey, I've got this situation going on with my son. He's doing this thing that's dangerous to him, and he told me what it was, and I've caught him three times, and this last time, I don't know what to do. You just ground them again for a month. It's dangerous for him. It's not good for him. And what he ended up explaining to his son, he said, son, I I don't know what to say to you. Do you see? Because his son would like, yeah, I did that. You're right. I own it. I did it. I deserve to be punished. But what his son did not see is how he was hurting the heart of his father who loves him and wants good for him. You see how this hurts me. It's what the father chose to say to his son. And his son was just beginning to get, to get it a little bit. Sin is forsaking the father And sin also is slavery. And this also is something that needs to be explained to modern people. Culturally, we're shaped to think we've been told all our lives, you can do whatever you want. Guess what? You can't do whatever you want. (laughs) You can do whatever you want, go wherever you want, live however you want, define your own reality. And we like to think of ourselves as free. We like to think of ourselves as, 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 as if we're on a journey through outer space and our lives don't revolve around anything. We're secretly, we've entered into orbit. Hey, uh, before you know it, your life revolves around your job or your money or this addiction or this pleasure or a relationship that's become unhealthy and idolatrous. And you like to think of yourselves as free, but actually, you're in, you're in the tractor beam of something's gravity. And to take Jesus' words seriously, Jesus acts like unless he frees you, you're not really free. Jesus acts like unless you have his freeing work, his new exodus in your life, you'll not be free, and you might not even know you're in bondage. Uh, in John 8, there are some people that were saying, we're not free. Why are you talking about freedom? We're not slaves of anybody. Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What do you mean you're a slave to sin? I'm not a slave to sin. Okay, how about this? Stop. 
Yes, if you're not a slave, just stop forever. Just love everyone perfectly from now on. Love God perfectly. Treat everyone as like you would like to be treated all the time, forever. Go. You think about that for a couple minutes. Oh, I can't do that. We actually need to be free. Jesus said everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The slave doesn't have a permanent place in the house. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus came that we would know the freedom of the father. And it's actually a new exodus. The freeing work of Jesus frees us from our sins. That's what being a Christian is. That's one of the things we're going to talk about today, discovering covenant. This is how the gospel works. Jesus Christ frees us from our sin, from our shame, and gives us a permanent place in God's family. That's what Jesus does. We know the Father's freedom through the liberating work of Jesus. And Jesus was unabashed by saying, about saying, look, he's the way to the Father. And it actually makes sense why he's the one who's teaching us, hey, when you pray, I want you to say this, Father. In uh, John 14, okay, John was really close to Jesus. And he wrote the last gospel. He was the guy that Jesus asked to take care of his mother. And he looks at Mary, his mother, and said, that's your son, John. John was close with Jesus. And he's given us chapters of dialogue in Jesus last night. And the last night before he's crucified, and he's he's explaining to his disciples he's going to leave And one of them, Thomas, goes, look, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, actually, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then Jesus says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How do we see the kind heart of God the Father? Look at the work of Jesus. How is the love of the Father come and poured into, uh, how do we contact that? Through Jesus, through Jesus Christ the Son. We know the freedom of God the Father through Jesus. And God calls his people his son when he's freeing them. In Jesus' new exodus, we are receiving a freedom that only he can bring, and it's yes, Instead of a distant relationship with God, a faraway relationship with God, we now have a family relationship with God, with the living God, whom we're taught to call God Father. It's very radical. So we enter into the the Father's freedom, and yes, here's the second thing. We're part of a new family. To be a Christian is to be adopted into a new family that you belong to forever. It's not temporary. And you actually have inheritance. So what happens? A family, you know, uh, families have stuff. Who do they give it to? Their kids. And there's a name that you share together. It's a family name. Jesus The name of God is on you. This is what the the gospel says. The name of God is on you. Your destiny is secure, and you're part of a new family. 
The Lord's Prayer is in the New Testament in two places. The first is in Matthew. It's the first sermon in the first gospel. And Matthew records Jesus' words. Say, Our Father. And so it's our together. It's the family of God. When Luke says, and he said to them, when you pray, the you is plural. It's a y'all, okay? In Western Pennsylvania, it's a yins. That was the word my mother labored very particularly for me to not say every day. Because we don't have a you plural in English, but this is a you. And so when we pray this prayer together, we pray it as a family. We pray it as a family. Martin Luther put it like this. The Lord's Prayer binds people together with one another so that each prays for the other and with the other. We pray to a common father. It's, this is so radical, what Jesus is praying and how when he calls God Father, the writers of the New Testament who wrote the whole, they wrote the whole New Testament in Greek, okay, which is like the most popular trade language. They choose once in a while not to translate Jesus' word for Father, the Aramaic Abba, Abba, Abba Father. Jesus prays to his Abba Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's in agony, he cries out, Abba. It's the word when the, new, when the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, we cry out to Abba, Father, and we know we're God's kids because God's spirit in us. We pray, Abba. He chooses not to translate that, Abba. Uh, let me explain this word. It's a word, it's a family word. It's not a baby word, which is probably why, it's probably not best to translate it daddy because adults would use it too. And the father, a father in the ancient world was a person of great respect. It's a family word. And it's, it's an adoption and inheritance word. So when the New Testament goes on to teach, being a Christian means that you're adopted in to this new family that is yours forever. Okay, in the cultural context, there were adoption ceremonies where an adopted child would legally have the new name of the family and also the inheritance rights. And actually all that's happening with us, for us in the New Testament. To be a Christian is to receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs means you inherit. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's what it is. You're adopted into a new family. You have inheritance. Everything you do for God will be unimaginably worth it. Um, what did Jesus say the meek would inherit? Just the earth. <laughs> the earth. <laughs> They're going to get it all. Okay? Uh, Whatever you do for God will be incredibly worth it. Now, there's ways we all need to do some mental revisioning here, okay? One of the things going on, 
Paul again and again says sons instead of sons and daughters. Why is he doing that? Well, because sons had inheritance rights that daughters didn't always have. And so he's saying male and female, we're all sons. We all have full inheritance rights. This is the same guy that also writes that the church is so beloved by Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride. And so then men, you kind of have to make that mental adjustment. The Lord Jesus collectively is our spouse and, and the one who faithfully loves us. So there's some revisioning going on, male or female. There's also some revisioning and healing going on for those whose fathers have left or failed or they were there and abusive. For the father you're trying to be, for the negligent fathers. Uh, do you remember the Far Side cartoons? The Far Side, they were just weird. And Gary, Gary, I think the guy's name was Gary Larson. It was like, here is a conference for those from normal families. And it was like a big auditorium, and there's like three people there. <laughs> you know? So in a way, that's sort of all of us, right? Um, and there's something deep that's being healed here. Um, last week we talked, it just for a second about the fact that orphans are prominent in literature and art. And everything from Batman's an orphan, Superman's an orphan, Harry Potter's an orphan. Uh, There's classic literature, Dickens, you think about Great Expectations. His dad was actually absent. Charles Dickens, the guy who wrote A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist about an orphan. His dad was absent because his dad was in debtor's prison. So that had changed Charles Dickens' life and give him, uh, given him a certain sympathy for the poor. But his dad was not there. And I, I would submit to you, does it not, could it be that our culture apparently resonates deeply with orphan stories because this broken, sinful world makes us feel like orphans? Even if you had the best dad in the room, Sometimes you feel alone in the universe. And there's something, I would even submit, there's something spiritually going on there. And there's something powerful about, okay, there's the power of parents to bless is just huge. My wife happened to be uh, talking to someone from another state Who's, who was deeply wounded by both her parents growing up. And even watching the family videos is really painful because when she watches the parents' videos, the parents often would film the pets more and she would be in the background asking for mommy and daddy's attention and not getting it. So even that's painful. And some of, some of the, some of the most angry brash, even like rock stars, for instance. Underneath that is an absent, disapproving, abusive, or abusive dad. Um, I'll talk about this documentary real quick. I'm a fan of rock documentaries because you have everything. You have music, it's often a memoir, you see the time period, and uh, there's a famous 
uh, documentary about the band Metallica it came out in 2004. It's called Some Kind of Monster. They're going to make this album, and they're, hey, we're going to film us making this album, and all of a sudden the band falls apart and it might not make it. And James Hetfield goes into rehab, and, but he comes back, and they, they hire a therapist, and they're trying to put the band back together. And Lars Ulrich, who's like, he's bold. He's not afraid of anything. He's the one who stood up to Napster and like, hey, maybe not just take all our music and give it away for free. And he was like the most hated guy in rock and roll for a while. And so in a way, hey, here's a guy who's not afraid of anything. And his dad shows up in the studio and there's this weird scene. His dad is listening to the beginning of the album and he doesn't like it. And Lars Ulrich doesn't say, Dad, what do you, you know, what do you know about how our, the beginning of our album should start? He stares at his shoes. And he doesn't, the pain of the father's lack of seeing him and the father's lack of blessing him is really apparent. See, this is what parents are supposed to do. If, if your mailman loves you, great, okay? But your mailman doesn't know you, doesn't see you. When your parents know you and see you, know the special things about you, know the hard things about you, and see you and bless you, when the, when the Father blesses you, it's super powerful. And so here's what this means. Okay, a, a Swiss theologian who passed away in 1966, Emil Bruner, he put it like this. The remedy for a bad father is not the still greater removal of any father figure at all. Okay, because some people would be like, look, I, to pray to God the Father, hey, I have stuff there that's hard for me to pray, so maybe I'll just call God Lord. I'll just skip that. No, actually, the way out of that isn't the greater removal of any father figure at all. It's the gift of a finally good father. And the Lord's Prayer gives us this gift. This is the gift of Jesus. You've been brought into a new family, and we can come to know the love of God the Father, the presence of the Father. Uh, we have a prayer room and a prayer ministry after every service. And today, I want to extend this invitation. You, know, you can come and ask for prayer for anything, but wouldn't it be great I believe there's a lot of people who'd be deeply blessed to receive prayer that you would know the love of God the Father. You know the love of the Father, the presence of the Father. And part of that healing, part of that healing is to be part of a new family. And, I'm, and I mean by that the church. We're actually supposed to be in a church community where there's multiple moms and dads and spiritual uncles and aunts and yes, brothers and sisters. We need refamilied. That's how we work that stuff out. Uh, it's hard to get people to shepherd them and coach them and kind of disciple them into joining the church. It is. Here's what it's like. I probably, I was trying to add it up the other day. Uh, we're doing a, hey, this is what the church is, and this is what the gospel is, and this is what it is to belong to the church thing today, okay? It's called Discovering Covenant. And I've probably done a hundred of these, okay, over the years. I've done a bunch of these, maybe more than that. 
And I find that inviting people to a church membership class, it's kind of like trying to coach, it's, it's like coaxing cats from underneath the couch. You know, you get down the ground, you're like, no, really, come out, come out. And the cat's like, nope, now you're down on the ground, definitely not. You know, oh, you really want me to do that? Definitely not now. I was open to it before, but now that you're there, definitely no. Uh, and I, I bring that up. I, I think that the thing that we need, the thing that we most need is something we're most afraid of. We need to, in modern life, have relationships that are thick and committed. And those are exactly the kind of relationships we're most afraid to have. We need to commit. We need to say, hey, I'll be part of this church family. This church isn't perfect. Hey, guess what? This church isn't perfect. And yet, I'm gonna trust God to show up and work through imperfect leaders and fulfill his promises and for us to be a family. We are conditioned culturally in our music, movies, and stories that the safest play, because people are so disappointing. Churches really mess up sometimes. Did you know that? Leaders really mess up. And then that's really hurtful. It is, it's really hurtful. And, but the way out of that, our culture tells us, hey, the safest play is to not commit. Don't commit. And that's sometimes played out in people's attitude towards marriage. Well, hey, I'll just never commit. I'll just never commit. And that's not God's way. That's not God's, that's not how that's going to be healed. Um, you're going to protect your heart then, not really open it up, not be able to say to another human being, if you're called to be married and God gives you that gift, hey, I'll love you no matter what till the day I die. All that I am is yours forever. You're going to protect yourself. The same thing that can happen when it comes to church stuff. And look, I get it. Other generations invented things so that they could join them. The Elk Lodge, the Shriners, the Moose Lodges. Like, I can wear a little hat, drive a little truck in the parade. I am in. People loved to join stuff. They're willing to join stuff in a way. I'm just pointing this out that culturally we find very difficult. And yet Jesus Christ goes against the grain and is asking us to do something very countercultural. Every time we pray, Father who art in heaven, we remember that being a Christian is being part of a family. And yeah, that needs to be lived out in lives of commitment to one another. Jesus says things like, you know, listen to your imperfect leaders. And hey, this imperfect leader, hey, does Jesus, does the Bible say that? Like, hey, listen to your leaders? Yeah, the Bible says that, you would say, if you're taking the Bible seriously at all. Well, hey, this leader is telling you that church membership's actually a big deal. It is. And so we're gonna explain it, cast some vision for it, and then after discovering covenant, it's just a series of conversations. Hey, let's look at the scriptures. Let's think about what this would look like for your life. What's your story? What's your understanding of the gospel? Jesus teaches us to call God Father, and in that we recognize we're part of a, of a family, and we're being refamilied in the family of God that is the church. Uh, 
I think God's doing something. By the way, sometimes renewal, mo- renewal movements, renewal movements often recover something that's been temporarily forgotten. For instance, the charismatic renewal movement. What was forgotten? The person of the Holy Spirit. God's here by his Holy Spirit. How about this? Jesus movement. That's an easy one. Jesus and the work of Jesus, our Savior, uh, and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There were some things about Jesus that were forgotten. Someone that came up in the charismatic Holy Spirit renewal movement wrote a book just a few years ago called The Forgotten Father. And actually, uh, all that movement of the Holy Spirit, what we also need, we need a clear picture of Jesus, and we need to not forget the Father. There's something for the church in knowing God as Father. We're part of a family. Lastly, uh, when you know God's for you, you have the Father's freedom, you're brought into this family, you learn to pray for the Father's glory. And Jesus simply, he tells us to pray some simple things. Father, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be loved and hallowed. Uh, this, this kind of language feels foreign to us. It feels weird. But here's the thing. When God is loved and honored and revered, it's good for the world and people are loved. There's some deep, there's some deep, Old Testament background in this. There's a really long, really wild book in the Old Testament called Ezekiel. Okay, it's super long. The visions are overwhelming. Ezekiel gets one vision and then says, and then I sat down on the ground for seven days. One of the things that God says in it, he says his name again and again. I am Yahweh is repeated more than 60 times. And Israel's failed, forgotten God the Father, just like we would have acted with all these different idols. And instead of lifting up God's name and showing the world God's name and showing the world his glory, they profaned his name among all the people of the world. And so God says, look, I am about to act in history for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God. They will know. You were supposed to represent me to the world, and you blew it. But I'm going to act, and my name will be holy, and my name will be known. And I'm going to do it. And you don't see it, but I'm going to do it. You read those passages and you tremble until you realize how God's going to do it. And in the same paragraph, it turns so tender. How is God going to vindicate his holy name? This is what I'm going to do to vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you back. He's like, I'm going to gather you up. You've wandered all over the place. You've been exiled. You've blown it. Your your lives are in ruins. And I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. 
and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. God's like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something for my name. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna gather my people back. I'm gonna forgive them, pour clean water on them. I'm gonna give them new hearts to know me. My spirit is gonna be in them and on them in a new way. Can anything be more beautiful? Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be known. May your forgiveness, your plan of salvation be known. What's, I preached a sermon here in uh, the beginning of May, and this was like the sermon. When I was here, the first sermon, when like, hey, this guy might be our pastor, and we looked at Psalm 67, which says, basically the Lord bless us, cause your face to shine upon us, what, that you would be known that all the peoples will praise you. Bless us, Lord, that your saving power would be known among all the peoples. That's what you're praying when you pray for your kingdom to come. You're praying for people who don't know God, who are running from God, denying God, rebelling against God, to know the power, the saving power of God. You're praying for everything that's upside down because Jesus isn't king, that it would be turned right side up. Uh, Prayer, praying this way, prayer is rebellion. David Wells writes, prayer is in essence rebellion, rebellion against the world and its fallenness, the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively not normal. That's what you're praying when you pray, Father, make your kingdom come. May your ways be known. May your goodness be experienced. And we pray this in hope, okay? Look, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom would come. And the Bible is indeed the most famous, popular book in the history of the earth that has been read more, translated into more languages. And it'll be, it'll be uh, read and heard in more languages. It's been translated into more languages than any other book more copies of it than any other book. And it's as if God said, look, my ways are gonna be known against all the peoples, by all the peoples of the earth, and here we are. And it's happening. So we can look back and be encouraged, and we can actually look forward and then know that God's gonna do it. This is a prayer we won't always pray. Here's a prayer you're not gonna pray forever, your kingdom come. Why? Because one day, that'll be over. Uh, there's a scene in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 11, where seven angels get up and do this crazy stuff, and the, the last one gets up, blows a trumpet, and there are loud voices in heaven saying, Revelation 11, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It has happened. Heaven and earth are going to come together. This world will be transformed and will be healed. Everything will be totally made right, and the tears will be wiped away. Don't you ache for that? Don't you ache for it? That's what we remember. Pray for stuff that's broken. Pray for stuff that's not fair. Pray for stuff that's not right. 
Pray for people who know the love and grace and peace of God. And pray for his kingdom come. You're praying for the Father's glory. You're praying also that other people would join the family. That's how we can pray. Let's pray now. Let's, uh, I'm going to lead us in a couple reflection prayers, and then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done this freeing work that we walk in, we can receive. Lord, I pray for people that are here who need to receive that today. And you did this freeing work that we would be able to call God Father and belong to the family. Uh, I want to invite you right now to pray to your Father in heaven. Pray silently to your Father in heaven. What do you need to lay at your Father's feet? What do you need to ask your Father for? What do you need to thank Him for, for being part of His family? Pray to your Father in heaven. And we pray too, Lord, for your kingdom to come, for your name to be hallowed. We pray for you to be known. Um, Who, pray silently for people in your life who need to know that God exists and who need to be touched with the love of God. Pray for people in your life to be touched by the love of the living God. Now let's, with faith, pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Father, receive our prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing. We're going to continue to pray this prayer as we sing it.